in, in that's your story. I know a story. It's an awesome story. Just like your story is pretty awesome too, isn't it? Any story that you have that you've come to Christ, that is an awesome story. There is no story greater than the story that God gave you. Amen? Oh, wow. So that's exciting. Hey, and, and Lydia, I know you're sorry. I still cannot convince the worship team to do that on, on Sunday. So I, I can get them up there going like this kind of thing. Sorry, Dimitri. This is just me. You're stuck. <laughs> Listen. Oh, I was going to tell you, if, if I had my choice, um, if I had my choice, I'd been born in 1935, okay? I would have been in a church down south somewhere that loved Jesus and got with it. Amen? That's, that's what I would have done. But the Lord said 1966 in Maryland. And so I, I didn't find a church till 24 years old almost. Amen? So take your Bibles, Acts 17. Here's what we're going to do. We're not actually going to look at the next set of scriptures in, as a whole tonight. We're going we're gonna to kind of pop over it a little bit simply because, simply because the text I want to look at is, is more meaty. And, and we could spend time in the other part, but I think this would be more of more benefit to us than anything. So we're going to look at tonight. Actually, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at verses 16 through through 23 in Acts chapter 17. And eventually go all the way down to verse 34. From 16 to 34 is is when Paul was in Athens and and he was looking out over the city of Athens and he and he was compelled to tell them the truth. And we're going to look at that in two different parts. So what we have leading up to where basically Paul is preaching the gospel in Athens, you have him starting out in verse 1 on the missionary journey going to Philippi. And so Paul and Silas, they went to Philippi. God started a church there. And this, this is the church that Paul wrote the letter that we are studying on Sunday mornings to, the, the book of Philippians. He wrote it to that church that was started there in Philippi. Now, anybody recall where the first church in Philippi was started? Anybody? Lydia? It was in Lydia's house. You know, she said, man, if you, if, if you think that my conversion was true, please come to my home. And from there, there's a church was started in her house. And so from Philippi, Paul and Silas went to Thessalonica. And there in Thessalonica, we kind of look at Paul's approach to ministry, where he had the habit, the custom of going into the, to, to the synagogue. He was committed. We looked at his message. The message was Christ and Christ alone. And he simply told them, and, and everywhere he went, he made this emphatic impression and truth into the heart of people, that Jesus is sufficient, that he is all that you need. He would say constantly to the Jew that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that meets every expectation and everything you're looking for. And now from Thessalonica, he went into, well, in Thessalonica, he ran into some trouble, didn't he? 
right? And they threw him basically out of the city. And so from there, Paul and Silas went immediately down to Berea. Now, Berea is about southwest a little bit of Thessalonica, about 50 miles. And so when, when you read in the Bible, oh, they went to the next city, it's not like hopping in your car or jumping on the tube and driving over to Richmond. You know, it, it's, it's like walking to like Gatwick or something. You know, because I think Gatwick's, what, about 50 miles from here? G- give or take something like that. Maybe a little bit further, but it, it's, it's walking that way. And that's a long journey. So, but that's exactly what they did. They went down to Berea and because their lives were being threatened there in Thessalonica. And, when, and we get to verse 11, and we read this. Because this is what you think of Berea. Well, let me ask. When you hear the name Berea, what do you think of scripturally? What, what, what pops into your mind? What, what pops, huh? Yes. The Bereans were the ones who heard what Paul had to say and did not say, ooh, let's just take it, and did not say, let's kill him because he's, he's speaking blasphemy. They said, hey, let's look and see if what he's saying is true. And I love verse 11. Now, these Jews, the Berean Jews, were more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, gladness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. Folks, it doesn't matter. That's what you, everybody look at me, because y'all are like, I want to make sure you hear me. Look, every time you come to church here, every time you hear someone say God says or whatever on the radio, on TV, in a book, if you hear it, if you see it on a billboard, you won't hear in this country because we don't have billboards. But in America, you would, you would or you could. When you see a message, you check that every single time with the Word of God. Check me with the Word of God. Take the Bible and, and go through it. and not, not because you're hunting to prove someone wrong, but you're just trying to, to look for yourself to see that it is true. Because if you take a truth to heart, that truth will stay in your heart. But if you only take the truth intellectually, oh, pastor says that's so, is it really in your heart? Is it really in your life? You want to take that word into yourself. And this is what they did. They checked it out. Amen? You ought to check it out. I'm not afraid for you to check it out. Someone came to me last year or last month or last week or last hour or last whatever. Could have been a woman, could have been a man, could have been a dog. You just do not know. But someone came to me and said, if, if we disagree, I will simply come and say, this is where the Bible says. And I said, and I will say, this is where the Bible says. And that's a great place to be, amen? Looking at the scriptures. So when the Thessalonian Jews heard that Paul and Silas were back down in Berea, and those fellows were listening to Paul and checking out in the Hebrew scriptures what Paul was saying, whether it was so, they got upset about it because they weren't really concerned about the truth. They were concerned about their way of believing. All right. And when people are more concerned with their way of believing and not the truth, that is always going to bring division. And they're always going to be militant 
about that. And so what they did is they sent some fellows down to Berea to stir things up. Look at verse 17. But when some of the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. And when that happened, Paul was sent away. They, a, a, a group of people, the Bible doesn't say how many, at least not in this text, they, they took Paul and they took him to the coast and they put him on a boat and they sent him to Athens. And if you look up, uh, if you Google Paul's second missionary journey, you can, you can watch, you can see the course in which he took from Thessalonica to or Berea's coast all the way down to Athens. Now, Paul gets to Athens, and when he gets there, because Silas and Timothy didn't go with him, he's pretty much on his own. And so what he does is he sits down in Athens, and when he gets there, he sent word back to Berea, to, or, or actually maybe Thessalonica, to one of those cities, wherever Saul, Paul, uh, Silas and Timothy were, and said, look, I'm okay, I'm in Athens, come down to me. But as he waited for his team to arrive, this took place. Our text that we're going to look at tonight, 16 through 23. Read with me, if you would. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners were, who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the object of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one to whom the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Now, we are going to spend a couple of weeks, probably maybe longer in verses 16 through 34, because they're that meaty. They're that important. Tonight, I want to draw out just a basic thought with two aspects. And before I get to that, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about it. Anybody like London? Do you like the city London? Denise says no. <laughs> I love London. I, I really do. I've lived up out of the city. How long do you live up north? Three years? Four years? Three or four? Almost four? Love the people, did. I love the people, love the house that we lived in, but I hated living that far out. People ask me all the time, why? Well, I like lamb, but I like lamb on my plate, not in my back garden. You know, there was just lamb everywhere and, and fields everywhere. They were beautiful, but after three years, it just got old. I wanted people. That's what I love about the city of London. 
Now, I want to ask you a question. What do you see when you look at London? That's not rhetorical. That's an actual literal question. What do you see? What comes to mind when you look out on this city day in and day out, in your car, on the tube, on the bus, walking down the pavement? What do you see? Statues? No arms, one arms, three arms. Yeah, I get statues. What else do you see? Oh, yeah, yeah. Almost everybody on the phone. Yeah, what else? Traffic? Okay. What else? Signs? What else? Ah, yeah, very ethnically diverse city. And, and, and this is a side note. Just for your information, um, um, I had a hearing test about a week or so ago, and, and I'm not quite there yet, but in this ear, I'm borderline in need of a hearing aid. And so, so this is the announcement to say, yell at me, please. <laughs> Just yell at me because, you know, when I'm always saying, huh, what? It's not because you speak soft. It's because I hear hard. All right. So just yell at me. So what else do you see? Ethnically diverse. Absolutely. Anything else? Sorry, Cordelia. Buildings. Big architecture. Good point. Architecture, old things, new things. History. What an amazing history this this city itself has. I mean, sometimes we still walk around in awe that we get to live here. You, you know, it, it's just an amazing city. And, and the, the, the secular and spiritual culture of the city is absolutely amazing. Today, when I was thinking about that question, a song popped into my mind. Now, some of you might know it's an old, old rock song from like a long, long time ago. But the song has a line in it that says this, Ah, look at all the lonely people. You know what I see when I, uh, I look at London? With the umpteen million people that we have living in this city from every, every part of the world almost, Cordelia, I see the loneliness of this city. I, I see the loneliness of people. That, that There's a chorus in that song that says, all the lonely people, where do they come from? All the lonely people, where do they belong? That is a great picture of our city, is it not? The, the loneliness of the city, the hopelessness of the city, compounded with the beauty of the city, compounded with the depravity of the city. I see faces that, whether they see it or not, are hopeless unless they know Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Paul was seeing when he was looking at Athens. The very first part of our, our verse in 16, it says, And when Paul, now that Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. He was emotionally affected, which that affected his actions. Now, what I want to look at over the next two weeks, or actually 
Not next week because we won't be here next week. And I'll explain that later. But tonight and two weeks from now, I want to look at two circular effects. Because Paul was affected emotionally because of what he saw. He, he was provoked within himself. We'll look at that in a moment. But not only that, in two weeks' time, we'll look at how him be a, being affected, how he affected the city. So there was a circular thing there. How the city affected Paul affected Paul himself to do something to affect the city. So tonight we'll look, how the, look at how the city affected Paul. And in two weeks' time, we'll look at how Paul, because of that, affected the city. So how was Paul affected? Listen. There's a verse in the Bible that says that the eyes affect the heart, right? How does the eyes affect our heart for this city? More importantly, for humanity in our world today. Paul saw and was provoked by the spiritual conditions of Athens. The spiritual condition of Athens provoked Paul. What was the spiritual condition of Athens? It was filled with idols. Now, what does that mean? It was filled with a multiplicity of ways of worshiping different gods. There was no one god in that city. There was multiplied many gods. There was temples massively, beautifully built uh, up on mountains. Can you think of any of them? Isn't there one still in part in ruins in, in, in Greece today that was a temple of worship back then? Remember what the name of it was, is, Emily? Is, is it the Parthenon? The Parthenon? It was that city in Athens was filled with many different idols that they worshipped as gods. Now listen to this. Paul's eyes. Paul's eyes were conditioned before he even got to Athens to see differently. You know why? Because he was a Jew. And he was brought up as a Jew. And he went to Pharisee school. And he sat under Gamaliel. And they did what? They studied the scriptures. And I imagine somewhere in Paul's life, he read Exodus 20, verse 1 and following. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and so forth on the people. Now, those were the eyes in which Paul was filtering Athens. And to the heart of that, that God-loving and Christ-following Jews, he saw that city wholly given to idols, and he was affected by what he saw. The Bible again says that Paul, as Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. To understand that word provoked, let's look at the usage of that word in, in Scripture through, through the lens of different translations. 
Some say, as Paul was waiting there and he was provoked, that he was deeply troubled by all the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. Paul was distressed beyond measure to see the city full of idols. Paul was greatly upset because of the idols that he saw in that city. One translation says this, his spirit was stirred to its depths because of the idols that he saw fully being worshipped in that city. See, it was not his city. They were not really his people. The majority of the people in that city were Greeks. They were Gentiles. They were not Jewish people, but his heart broke because they didn't worship the true and living God. And for us as Christians, our hearts should break when we know other people that don't worship Christ, that don't know him as Savior. I think we get so satisfied with our own relationship with the Lord that we don't let what should be filtering our eyes, the scripture, allow us to see through those lenses. Paul was seeing through the lens of Scripture, no other gods before him. You don't bow down and worship those gods that were made with hands in that whole city. That's what he was seeing. If you and I go to Athens today and see those ruins, guess what we'll do? We'll go, wow, look at the Parthenon. Whoa, look at them columns, man. Whatever that used to be, it used to be amazing and magnificent. We would see their st- their statues, and, and a lot of the Greek statues are down in the British Museum, aren't they, Emily? We had a special tour that time, and, and we're told what those all were. I mean, we, we you'd stand there, and you go, wow, that's amazing. What great architecture, what great beauty, what amazing things. But you know what they all were? They were gods, or part of a, a system of worshiping of those false gods. It's exactly what the Parthenon was right? It was a temple. And folks, they weren't worshiping Jesus Christ. They were bowing down and worshiping false gods. See, we're in awe of that kind of stuff. But go back 2,000 years nearly and view it in the eyes of Paul. And Paul was broken to his core over the idolatry of the city. These same idols are looked at with greater artistic appreciation today. But they were the very idols that provoked Paul in his spirit. One one theologian wrote this. Whatever Paul may have felt in the way of artistic appreciation, the feeling that was uppermost in his mind as he walked through the city was one of indignation. The city was full of idols dedicated to the worship of gods that were no gods. What Paul was looking at as the Ark of Athens actually was really a reflection of its worship. And I I sat back in my chair when I read that, and I thought, can we say that of our day today? I think so. Much of the art that we have today, in many ways, almost in some cases, come to the point of worship. Not as a Savior, not as their eternal life, they don't probably trust some of the idols or the the artistic worship of today as something getting them to heaven, but we certainly do, in a way, bow down to them and 
and give them much of what we are through finances and different things like that. And I'm just I'm just thinking about the crazy stuff about the Marvel movies. People getting tattoos of Marvel characters on their bodies. Um, um, people people you know just just almost acting as if they were real and live. True? Hey, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing Marvel, man. I'm a Captain America guy. All right, with the sub 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 like of Iron Man. All right, I like that kind of stuff, you know. But but really, our art today almost is a reflection of what we worship. We are not as a world worshiping God, are we? Do we ever look at that in the in the filter of Scripture and get grieved over what people are giving their lives to? And I, I'm not I'm not talking about movies now, but I. I I'm talking about not giving their life over to God. Even at this time, Athens was a pretty amazing city. They were not what they were decades previously because now they're really under Roman control. But Rome saw the beauty and the culture and the history and the architecture and in their lifestyle that they basically allowed Athens to live as they used to live. So when Paul got there, it was like it was the height, height of of Greece still. Not of the world, but of Greece. But Paul was not affected by the art, is my point. He saw beyond that. He was affected by the spiritual depravity of the city. He saw past the accomplishments of their of their history and of and, and he saw past their culture. He saw past the beauty of the land and of the architecture. And he saw the sinfulness of man and their need. It's without a doubt that's what he saw because the Bible says that he was provoked in his spirit when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So let's go back to our first question. When you see London, what do you and I see? We should see those things because they're evident, but we need to look past those things and see the depravity of the city. I, I've been talking with a, a young man this week, earlier a couple of days this week, who who's a believer, but, but he so struggles with depression and anxiety. At times it almost cripples him. But when I look at him, he has hope. He has hope. Matter of fact, we spoke today, and his whole conversation was the needs spiritually of other people and the fact that the Lord, I have him. He helps me overcome the things that I struggle with. But most people don't have that. They live with Liz and die to Christ. Paul saw that need. He was provoked by the spiritual condition of Athens. He was provoked provoked by the depravity of Athens. When you go down the pavement and you see the gang, that should provoke us to their need of the gospel. When you're going down and you see people, uh, wow, the way people talk today, it just blows my mind. It's horrible. You, you know, the, the profanity that comes out of the eight-year-old mouths that I'm, I'm watching Lydia coming home from school. I'm like, 
My mother literally chased me down, threw me on, I remember it, I was like six years old, and we lived in Quin, on Quimby Avenue in Laurel off of the Route 1 there in Beltsville, or not Laurel, Beltsville off of Route 1, and I said a bad word to my mom. She turned around, chased me down, threw me down to the ground, and we didn't have the liquid IV soap. She stuck a bar of soap in my mouth and, sw- and yelled at me, and my mom wasn't a Jesus follower at that time, okay, and washed my mouth out with soap for a bad word that wasn't even close to what the world uses today. By the way, I never said that bad word ever again to my mom. All right? She saw the depravity. What what do we see? Don't we see a sin-sick world? Don't we see a world? No. You know what, Christians, nowadays, we have such a struggle of being, oh, let's be in the world. No, let's be out of the world. And we, we have this pull to the world, but that pull into the world ultimately leads to death that has nothing to satisfy the people. Do you know that? In Athens, they had all these gods everywhere. And then what they did is they set up another altar. And they said, this altar is to the God that we might have forgot about. To the unknown God. Meaning, we might not have covered all our bases. So let's make sure by saying, hey, Whoever you are, whatever you are, this is the one we're worshiping you with, right? Listen, not only was Paul provoked by their depravity, Paul was provoked by their religiousness. And let us also be provoked by the religiousness of this world. Man, we got churches everywhere or so-called churches everywhere. We've got religion everywhere. We And everybody now saying, it's all the same God, right, Dimitri? The, the Muslims God, the Jews God, the Christians God. Oh, it's all the same God. Oh, man, I just want to blow up when I hear that because they're not. One's alive and real. The other's dead. Okay, the one can bring you to eternal life. The others will lead you to eternal damnation. Uh, they, they also say, oh, all the religions are the same. Oh, my goodness. That just shows us the lack of understanding that people have about true faith. They're not all the same. The Muslims have to do and do and do and, and pray and pray and, and Ramadan and, and fat. They have to do all that kind of stuff and then hope maybe, maybe, that God would have mercy on them and they might make it. The Catholics, so let's not just do Islam. Let, let's look at what some people call Christianity. Catholicism is not Christianity. Christianity being the following of Jesus Christ. We don't treat, the the church doesn't treat Christ and Christ alone. They preach baptism into their church. They preach the following of their church. They preach following all their little, and I'm not Catholic, never was, so I don't know their terms, but all those little things that they have to do. Jews had 613 mitzvahs. They've got a bunch of commands as well. You got to be, you know, get last rites, and and you got to do all these things, and, and and maybe still you didn't make it, so we'll burn some candles. That's Catholicism, hopelessness. Amen. Hopelessness. Paul looked at all the idols, and the, and and he saw their religiousness. And that broke his heart. 
Look at verse 22 again. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Because remember, this is what provoked Paul by seeing all those idols. For as I was passing through and considering the object of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I'm going to, he's going to, him I proclaim to you. You see, the idea is that the Athenians were firm and rigid. When Paul said, you are very religious, he said, you guys, you're firm in religion and you're firm and rigid in your reverencing of the deities that you have. That's our world today. Don't, don't tell me that, you know, Jesus, I have my beliefs. Still the same thing. That's their idol. You know what? We might not worship idols carved by hands and made out of stone, but we worship idols made of our own image most of the time. Who's the great? What's the greatest idol in the world today? Man himself, especially in countries like ours, America, uh, Britain, uh, probably that kind of Western world. That's the God of today. Don't tell me what I have to do. I will be the captain of my own ship. Problem is, every single one of those ships are sinking in a real sense. He looked at their religiousness and he was broke up because they were staunchly religious. Just let me on a side note say this. We cannot be put off and we cannot be, what's the word? Um, when you're not moved either way. Starts with a C. Thank you. You are now my dictionary. We cannot be complacent. That's what we get, though. Oh, they, you know, they have a religion. I don't, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be disrespectful. Don't be rude. Don't be disrespectful. You, you and I, as communicators of the gospel, Marcia, we don't have to be rude. I don't think there's ever a time that we have to be rude or disrespectful or mean. You know, I was sitting in the, 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 the lunchtime talk today, and, and I'm just going through Philippians with them. And we've covered um, 27 through 30 this afternoon, and we talked about, you know, standing fast, and we talked about uh, living in mutuality, and we, we talked about, um, I forget what the third point was, but we talked about that too, and then we talked about being courageous. And, and how we need each other, right? So for about 10 minutes afterwards, they just took up the conversation and said the most important thing that we can do to witness to people is relationships. I'm not against tracts. I'm not against street preaching. I'm not against evangelistic meetings. But if we want to really reach people, we will reach people through relationships because we don't live in a gospel-centered world anymore. It's not like 50, 60 years ago when... I was calling him Benjamin Graham. When Billy Graham came to this city, do you know they said that people would come, one meeting, get saved, and go be a part of a church? That hardly happens anymore because we're not in a Christianized nation. Go talk to people. They might know the name of Jesus, but they know nothing about him. You know, And the 
best way we are going to help people come to Christ is relationship. So I'm saying, as Christians, we ought to not just hunker ourselves around other believers. We need them, amen, right? But you also need lost people in your life. You need them. They need you. You know why? Because even if they're non-religious, they're still religious. Because they have a God in their life. That God might be an idol, it might be a religion, or it just might be themselves. Because when we put anything above God, that becomes an idol. And most men today have put themselves over God as the authority of their life. See, the Athenians feared that they might have overlooked venerating some deity they didn't know about, so they dedicated an altar to the unknown God. Catch what that means. None of their gods satisfied them. None of them. Because if they had Lydia, they wouldn't have done an unknown God. They would have said, the fish God, he satisfies my longing. But they didn't. They added more because none of them satisfied their longing. That's our world today. I've talked to people of religions. I, I know this one young lady is a Muslim. Her religion doesn't satisfy her. And it can never satisfy her. Because it's not real. So, how, how was Paul affected? Why was he affected? It had a lot to do with the fact that he was in the world. Paul had the ability to see past the superficial. He had the ability to look beyond the cultural facade and see the reality of men's hearts. Paul was a man who was indifferent to the things that usually preoccupy us. You know, we are usually satisfied with the facade. Oh, yeah, yeah, I have my own faith. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, I believe in Jesus. Listen, if there's no fruit to that term, I don't believe it. Uh, do you? If they say, oh, I, I, you know, I, yeah, 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 I believe in Jesus, but yet they don't go to church, they, they don't read their Bible, they don't pray, they don't seek others to know Christ, how can that be Christianity? And listen, going to a Christian concert don't cut it. It doesn't. That, again, is just filling the, the religiousness of the heart's desire. And Paul was a man who was indifferent to the things of God. He saw past the facade and the spiritual issues. Paul would go into a city and he'd look around and he would say, hey, this place is full of lost people. That's the kind of spiritual perception that he had. What are we seeing today? I often think, we don't have spiritual glasses on to see the need of the world. If I take mine off, I, c I can see your face and Lisa and Cordelia's. The rest of y'all just a bunch of blurriness. And I think that's what most Christians are looking at our world with today. They've not got spiritual glasses on to see clearly the need. So how do we see our city? How do you see your city? 
I wish we had spiritual advocates. This is not mine. This is a quote that I found that spoke to me. I wish we had spiritual eyes so that we just wouldn't be contented to see the glitter and facade of a cultural class of well-dressed, well-bred society, but we'd see down deep the lostness of men that are doomed and damned to a Christless eternity. The dude on the tube that wears a Rolex watch and the lady that walks in those, I don't know, what, Prada high heel shoe. What's a fancy, expensive shoe? I don't know. But you see them on the tube all the time. Saw a lady the other day that the clothes that she wore probably cost as much as my motorbike. But what value does she have within her heart in Christ? That's what we need to be looking for and seeing inside the heart. You can't see inside the heart, right? Until you meet them in relationship. So you know what Paul did? Paul got off the street from where he was looking, and he went down into the city, and he walked by the idol, and he went to the Arabs that day, and he saw the people, and he began communicating with them. Paul, because of the idolatry, and that idolatry was taking glory from God, and because of the unsatisfaction of their religiousness, their religious act, Paul was provoked in his heart for their need. He was indignant against the idols, but he was not indignant against the men and the women. This is not enough of a definition, really, in translation to clearly show how Paul was affected. The English translation of provoked means distressed. But that's actually too gentle in saying that he was greatly distressed. It was more than that. What Paul really was saying was that Paul was infuriated by the fact these people were dying because they were worshiping a God that was false and it was leading them to an eternal hell. That is what provoked Paul. So, are we tonight provoked at the lostness of man? Are we troubled? Are we distressed? Are we upset? Are we stirred concerning the mass of religiousness? Look, up and down our high street, there's all kinds of religious things going on. Monday, I was at the FIEC pastor's conference. And one pastor got up and he he was asked to say something. And they were sharing different things that they did to meet and make relationships with people so that they could be a witness to them. And one pastor got up and he said, well, I've been asked to tell you what I do. And he said, well, for a while now, me and one of the men in my church, we've been attending, and he kind of sheepishly said, we go to We go to death cafes. Anybody heard of a death cafe? Stephen? You know what they are, right? They are where groups of people get together and talk about all their wacky ideas of what will happen after they die. It's turning into a butterfly. Do you know why that's happening, though? Because people are concerned about what happens when they die. So these two Christians, they rock up to the death cafes 
and the Hoosier State. We listen to their whacked out, stupid, silly, ridiculous ideas of what happens when they die, and then it just goes in a circle, and it comes to me, or it comes to my mates, and all we do is tell them what we believe. Listen, they are in need, just like you and I were before Jesus, amen? Listen, pray tonight that your eyes are changed, that the filters come off, and that you can see through the filter of God's word the need of our world today. And the need is great because they are lost and they are religious and they are dying. So Lord, help us to be affected by the condition of man spiritually today because as we'll see in two weeks, what Paul saw affected his feet, affected his hands as he went out and reached out to people. It, it affected his heart and en enlivened him to give them the message of Christ. And this is why I think we don't live as witnesses, is that we don't see the need of the world through the lens of Scripture that they're lost no matter what the religion is.